I'd like to ask you now to turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. I uh, shared with the church last Sunday night that the plan moving forward in preaching is for us to work through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Lord willing, in about 20 sermons. Uh, we will be doing that, which will take us right up to the end of the year, a couple of weeks before the end of it. And again, it's always Lord's willing. Lord willing, you never know what's going to happen between now and then. And I do want to apologize. Well, I don't really need to apologize because it wasn't my fault. But the air conditioner is sort of out in the front part of the building out there. So I do not apologize. <laughs> but that, that's the way it is. I'm sorry for that. I hate it. But we're having that replaced for about $15,000 on Tuesday. Have a new unit put in. So if anybody wants to throw a little extra change in the offering plate to help cover that, then it would be appreciated. But the Lord has get blessed us with uh, funds to be able to cover things like that. We are a church that's not in debt for anything, thankfully. And um, we do have uh, have the means to be able to take care of our facility in that way. But things are expensive these days for sure. Now, um, we come here to 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to begin to, this is going to sort of be an overview sermon today. And the first message I've just simply entitled, The Thessalonians in God. And what we're going to do to begin with is we're going to read the entire book of 1 Thessalonians this morning. At least I'm going to read it. And I do this uh, under obligation because if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 27, I sort of feel like I have no choice but to do this this morning. Somebody said to me yesterday that after being off for five weeks, then this should really, they're really expecting a great sermon from me this morning. So no pressure at all. So I'm going to nail that. I'm just going to read First Thessalonians to you. All right. So it's bound to be a great message uh, in part anyways from reading First Thessalonians. You see it there in verse 27. He says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy Brethren, and so you all qualify, and we do for that. So we will read through this passage together, through this book together this morning. Should take us only about less than fifteen minutes. So let's let's get started there. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse one. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Verse 9. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God 
and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom God raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much of conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Verse 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Verse 13. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, You welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, And have persecuted us, and they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan has hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For you are our glory and joy. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we should suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. 
for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, we also to see you as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Verse 11. Now, may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. So that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk and please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you. That you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest sorrow, as, uh, lest you sorrow as others who, who have no hope. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then... We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. 
Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Verse 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Verse 12, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now in verse 23, May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, or be with you. Amen. Thus concludes the reading of 1 Thessalonians. And may God's word, God's blessings be upon the reading of His word to our hearts today. Now, I don't want to hear any smart remarks from anybody about why we aren't obeying the holy kiss part, but we are obeying the read this epistle to, to everyone. Today, I have a few points that I want to share with you as we look into this passage. First of all, I want to see, number one, the qualifying of the church. What does that mean about the qualifying of the church? The thing you see about the Thessalonians is that they are a church like all churches who have a beginning and they have a continuing. And as you see there in your notes, there is a historical account of their beginning that's found in Acts chapter 17 verses 1 through 9. And then I have there listed chapter 18 verse 5. 
And I'll tell you why that's there. Again, they have a continuing, they have a beginning, and they have a continuing. The thing that you might have recognized in chapters one and two is that their beginning was in the gospel of Jesus Christ as it was preached by the Apostle Paul. The gospel of God or the gospel is mentioned several times in these in these first two chapters that we will pay attention to as we're working our way through them. But their beginning started right there with the preaching of the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection, and appearance of Jesus Christ alive from the dead. That's where it started. That's where their spiritual life began as they heard that gospel and responded to it in faith. And we, like the Thessalonians, will only have a spiritual beginning, life with God, if we respond in faith to the gospel. And they had that beginning, but they also had a continuing. And that's something that the Apostle Paul was somewhat concerned about, as you might have recognized in the letter. That as he had gone from them on over into Acts chapter 18, which is probably when he wrote back to them, or rather sent Timothy to them, Timothy came back to Paul right there in Acts chapter 18 and reported to them about what was going on with the Thessalonians. And then that's when Paul would have written this letter to them. 1 Thessalonians is probably, if not the earliest, one of the earliest letters that Paul wrote. Now let's turn there. I want you to see it in the book of Acts. We can't miss this part because it is so important to our understanding and to our knowledge of the New Testament. Folks, when you're reading through the book of Acts and when you think about the New Testament, you've got to understand that the epistles, these letters that are written with a purpose... These formal letters written with a purpose were written, many of them, to churches that were founded in the book of Acts. And even here in Acts chapter 18, when Paul was in Corinth, may he have written back to the church in Thessalonica that he might check on them, that he might give them some instruction. So in first in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, not going to read all of it. I just want to show you the context here. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. And what did he reason in verse seven, in verse three? Explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And then in verse four, we see their response. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Now you can drop down to verse six and you can see that that an uproar uh, began to occur. A person named Jason, one of the Christians there, was pulled out of his house. And in verse six, it says, but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And then in verse nine, a security was given um, from Jason and the rest, and they let them go. So apparently there was some 
promise given. It may have been given some, some money, may have been, may have exchanged hands, but some promise was given, perhaps that the Apostle Paul would not return back to the city at that time and continue to preach, and we find him going from there to Berea. Now, what was it that he was preaching in addition to the, the gospel that is clearly laid out there? But in verse 7, we see that they were accusing Paul and these others of preaching a that Jesus is another king other than Caesar, that there is another king and his name is Jesus. And certainly we see in First Thessalonians that we are living for the kingdom of God and not for the kingdom of this world. Now, if you look at chapter 18, verse 5, uh, it says, When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. This right here, chapter 18, verse 5, is probably what Paul is referring to in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 2, when he speaks of, um, Timothy, uh, rather Timothy being sent there, but Timothy having brought a report in verse 6, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have a good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. This probably happened here in Acts 18, verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia to Paul. Now, let me walk you through a couple of maps here. I hope you all can see this okay. Uh, but this contains Paul's first and second missionary journeys. Um, the first journey it begins here at Antioch and just goes up into into the Galatia region, and then he comes back to Antioch. The second journey begins uh, from Antioch of Syria, and you see that it takes him all the way over. The farthest point, I suppose, would be a Berea, but right here at Thessalonica. That's where Thessalonica is. And then he would return back to Antioch after that. Now, the thing that I want to point out to you while we're here is that there are two Antiochs. There's the Antioch of Syria. This is the home base for missions to the uh, Gentile world. There's Antioch of Pisidia. Both of these show up in Acts chapter 13. But it's here that each time, if you wonder how you figure the missionary journeys, how do you know when Paul started a missionary journey? It's because he would go back to Antioch right here, and then he would set out again. He would go back there, give a report of what's been going on, and then he would go on another journey. Matter of fact, that's where he was when, they first, when he was first set aside by the Holy Spirit to be a missionary. And then Paul's third missionary journey. Here in Paul's third missionary journey, we see him going again to Macedonia and um, then returning again. But on this journey, he would go back to Jerusalem. On this return, he would go back to Jerusalem, and that's where, was it in uh, Acts chapter 22, where he is arrested, or today where we saw that, where he's arrested. And then from that point on, uh, he would be under arrest, and we the, the book of Acts would end with him being in prison. Um, I have one more map here, just to kind of show you the size of Macedonia. 
This is the Macedonia, the country of Macedonia, the, the region of Macedonia right here. And this is where the church in Thessalonica would be located. Paul's last journey would be imprisoned, and he would end up all the way over here in Rome and be preaching the gospel there. I hope that's of some help. The next thing that we'll see in this uh, in our quick overview today is the quality of the church. The quality of the church. Have you ever considered what makes for a healthy church? That is something that we should ask when we think about and are reading through the New Testament, what makes for a healthy church. In the book of Thessalonians, first and second Thessalonians, we see many traits of a healthy church. Even in the first chapter, I'll give you three points, three E-words that have to do, and they don't, they're not up on the screen, but um, the first one is this election. In verse 4, we saw election by God. Now, why would the Apostle Paul think that they were a church that was elect, that they were chosen by God? In verse 3 of chapter 1, he remembers in his prayers for them their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope. And all of that evidence in their life reminded him not of how good they were and how spiritual they were and how capable they were, but it reminded them of God's grace and election to call them to Himself. And thus that Word of God becomes effective in their lives, as we saw over in chapter 2. The Word of God works effectively in you who believe. So election is the first word. But the second word is example. In verse 7 of chapter 1, he says, So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia. Now let's see if we can go back here to one of these maps. What he's saying here is that brethren, the Thessalonians, that they have become an example to all in Macedonia and all who are in Achaia. So the church of Corinth, Athens, the Thessalonians and their their faith has reached out to all of these different areas. And then he would go to say that it even goes beyond that. So we see election, but we see their example. And the last word is echo. The sounding forth in verse 8. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia, in Achaia, but also in every place. So it's echoed. It's actually gone out and it's coming back to the Apostle Paul because he says, I don't even have to say anything about my going to you because everybody knows about it because of the way that you are living your life. It's going out everywhere. So it's echoing back so that I need not to even say anything. The quality of the church. But then next we're going to see the quest of the church. We've seen the qualifying of the church. They had a beginning and they had a continuing. We see the quality of the church. This is seen in their election, their example, and the echo of their faith as it goes out beyond even Macedonia and Achaia. But now we see the quest of the church. When we think about the church in Thessalonica, their status quo was not an option for this church. They wanted apparently to go deeper. The Thessalonians appear to be a people who are curious and concerned 
about Christian doctrine. They are a church that is curious and concerned about Christian doctrine. Now, why do you say that? If you go to chapter 4, verse 9, this is sort of like the book of 1 Corinthians. Because in 1 Corinthians, several times the Apostle Paul writes and he says, but concerning, but concerning. Now, concerning. And here we see it three times in this, in this letter. Now, we don't have any traces of a letter that was written from the Thessalonians to Paul with all of these questions. Maybe Timothy brought them in his notes from meeting with them and being there. But he, Timothy comes and apparently delivers this to Paul and he writes back and addresses specific issues. You see the first one in chapter 4 verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. We'll jump to the next one, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. So as we see this example from this church, and if, if, if what most people say is correct, Paul's answering these questions less than a year from when this church was established. Less than a year from their beginning. They were a church that seems to be both curious and concerned about Christian doctrine. Now my question is for us, are you? Are we? I admire this church. They're, they're, they're like an infant-sized church that asks adult-sized questions. And this is remarkable. And what a judgment, perhaps, this ought to be against us in the American church. Our questions may be centered around what meals we will have and what games we will play, not around the sanctification of our lives unto God and the preparation for the parousia of Christ. What do you, what do you mean by that? What in the world does that mean? Every chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends with a reference to the coming of Christ. The parousia of Jesus Christ. His coming, His appearing, His arrival. The time when He returns. And this church was wondering about these things. And even as an infant church, the Apostle Paul is writing to them about these deep issues. The Thessalonian church ought to jar us out of our mediocre Christianity and awaken us to the reality of what the Christian life ought to look like today. Faith, hope, love, work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope, a quest to know Jesus and live not for our kingdom, but for the kingdom of God that will not perish. So over these next few weeks... I want to ask you, will you join me on this journey over these next few weeks, these next few months, as we explore these letters of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians together, not for knowledge only. I hope we get some knowledge out of it, but not for knowledge only, but for the application of the gospel. You see, the Apostle Paul 
was not concerned about them getting knowledge. But he wanted them to be perfect in their faith, lacking nothing. Chapter 3, verse 10. He wanted them to increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. And he wanted them for their hearts to be established blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. See, church, like the Thessalonians, it ought to be with us that our knowledge ought to be driving us not toward haughtiness, but toward a faith that is perfect, a life that is holy and without blame and ready for the coming of our Lord. So, over the next few months, we will today embark on this journey. And by the grace of God, He will use these books to grow us as a church, to grow us in the gospel. Remember, that gospel is where it all begins. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you, have you believed in the gospel, repenting of sins, and been changed turning from the idols of this world and turning to Christ who alone can save. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we give you thanks, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this church that was established and preserved and persevered. I pray, Father, as we look to your word in days, weeks, and months to come, that this word would have a powerful impact in our lives as a church and in as individuals. Thank you for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that 2,000 years later still saves lost sinners and is the only hope for a lost world. Yes, Jesus is the King. He is the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. May we worship Him as such and know Him as such on a deeper and deeper level. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.